Everyone is a character. All characters are Tatiana. Conclusion, Tatiana is everyone. You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an orphan black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie, and in this episode, we are discussing Season 3 in its entirety, stuff from Season 3 in its entirety. So if you have not seen all of Season 3, there could be some spoilers for you. And we have a guest again with us this week. It's our friend Sally, who you may remember from our Clone Science episode, which I believe is Episode 17. Hello, Sally. Hello. Thanks for inviting me back. Thanks for being back. And this week we're talking about Delphine and Paul, specifically their storylines in season three, because we we thought that they sort of not quite paralleled each other, but were were similar. They were sort of variations on a theme. And I think they, from the beginning, have had similar roles in the storyline. Right. I mean, that is part of what I'm getting at is throughout the series, really, they've had similar storylines and similar roles and similar things have even happened, which we will get into. And that's something that I hadn't even, you know, consciously noticed until you guys pointed it out. They do have very parallel and similar storylines. They're just very different in how they approach their situations. Right. And I think part of it, too, is we really, at least in my mind, we see more of Delphine's storyline or perhaps maybe more of Delphine's perspective. Mm-hmm. I feel like Paul just disappears for a big chunk of season two. So we don't really get to see him interacting with his higher ups in quite the same way that we do Delphine. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we have less perspective on Paul and his feelings about his situation than we do on Delphine. Right. And I think part of it, too, is that we actually see Delphine start her her journey as a monitor as opposed to Paul, who is already embedded by the time we get the story rolling. As well, they also react to what they're going through really differently. Paul's very stoic. And, you know, Delphine kind of, we see her processing her feelings on screen more. We don't actually get much of, if any, of Paul's backstory or even confirmation, I think, of how he feels about his situation about Sarah until, you know, we're really well into season three. Almost his last episode. It feels like we get, we finally get some of his perspective. I think it is his last episode that we actually get a definite answer as to what Paul's actual feelings are. I think, you know, there's stuff that you suspect and stuff that they strongly hint at, but there's no sort of definitive word on where Paul stands on everything morally and ethically and, and all that sort of thing. Until the episode where he essentially sacrifices himself. Let's talk about the parallels or the similar things here. They start off as monitors. They are forced at some point to part ways with the clones they fall in love with. Well, and and I think, right, they are monitors who are positioned as potential love interests, or they become at least the love interests of the clones that they're supposed to be monitoring. And while Donnie fits that same mold, he is different in that he didn't know that he was monitoring a clone. Whereas Delphine and Paul, 
Paul maybe wasn't told clone by Dyad, but he had a larger knowledge of the fact that he was a monitor for this organization where Donnie didn't. Right. Donnie's kind of the opposite of their situation because he was right. already in love with this person and then was essentially recruited right, to, to do this thing that he didn't know what it was for. Whereas Paul and Delphine both knew what they were doing or why they were doing it, but then subsequently fell in love. Accidentally. Yes. And then they were both forced to part ways, like you said, and Donnie decided not to part ways and, you know, fought really hard to keep his family together. But this is about Delphine and Paul, not Donnie. <laughs> well, I was just delineating why we're, we are talking about these two together, even though there are some things that Donnie might have in common with them. But I think he is ultimately quite different from them. At least the situation is quite different from theirs. I think he's yeah. worth bringing up as a contrast point. Yeah, stop picking on Donnie, Sally. <laughs> I wasn't. I was just saying he's a great foil. That's exactly what I meant. He is. He is. And I think another big thing that both Delphine and Paul go through is realizing that the company, the organization that they are working for, isn't quite what they thought it was. I think they both get some rude awakenings in regards to the larger organizations that they work for. Right. We see Delphine finding out that the stuff that Dyad's doing is sort of bigger and on a grander scale and the involvement of the Neolutionists and all this sort of thing. And Paul, of course, is working for the Caster Project, the military, and has no idea about these experiments that Dr. Cody is working on that are essentially harming all these women with the potential end goal of essentially committing genocide, which is... I pretty devious yeah like i have no words even i'm just <laughs> terrible it's terrible it's just all terrible yeah it's not good and <laughs> delphine and paul both end up getting pretty disillusioned too with the organizations they work for it's not just they found out that there was more going on but you know it really uh affects them and they kind of work at cross purposes for part of the time to protect their clones. Mm -hmm. Right. That's another thing that they're, they're both working within these organizations, sort of trying to help the people that they now care about once they find out these awful things. And I think they both have these instances where it seems like they've turned their backs on the organization they're supposed to work for, but, oh, wait, no, they're still embedded. And what's really their goal here? I think both of them have several times where you're not quite sure where their loyalties lie and what their purpose is exactly. Right. Yeah, a lot of times I think viewers of the show have wondered about, you know, both Delphine's and Paul's motivations. It's true. And I think it's especially true earlier in the series, because I remember having conversations with both of you during the hiatus between seasons one and two, which is when both of you started watching, I believe, right? Yes. And yes, like both of you just were not <laughs> sure about Delphine at first. Like, I think by the end of hiatus, I know Stephanie came around and was like, like, no, I like Delphine. And I think Sally was still suspicious, right? I was. Are you still suspicious? Sally, I think, is the most suspicious of Delphine of the three of us. And I'm not even super suspicious of her in general. I just, uh, I find it hard to trust anybody on this show. That's fair. 
Which is fair. That's probably smart. (laughs) Don't trust anybody completely. (laughs) But then, of course, throughout season three, both Paul and Delphine were shot and poor Paul was killed because they were trying to do the right thing, which just makes me sad. Hmm. And I do think in this season in particular, even though both of these characters have been very gray, we don't exactly know what they're doing and why throughout the series. I think they did both land their storylines. I mean, both landed on this idea that they did truly care about the clone that they fell fell in love with and that ultimately they were trying to protect that person. At least that was my impression. Even even though Delphine still, I think, has a lot of things to answer for that she did through in season, throughout season three, I do think that they tried to stress toward the end that she was doing those things to protect Cosima. And clearly that's why Paul did what he did at, in a certain agony of a battlefield. Right. I think especially like each character's episode where they are killed or potentially killed that's the episode that gives us definitive answers, which is a very, very television thing to do. Right. Of course. Like, you can feel it coming. Exactly. You're like, we finally know where their hearts lie. Oh, no! Where's the truck that's going to run them over, you know? Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. That kind of sounded like a Lost Girl reference, but that's not what I meant. <laughs> I kind of figured it was, actually. But but anyway. Mm. So let's talk about Delphine in season three, because I have a lot of feelings, conflicting feelings about Delphine in season three, because this is by far the harshest we've ever seen her be. For sure. I mean, the scene that I remember, she does a lot of harsh things that, you know, are not nice. She pushes her finger into Rachel's eye and, you know, causing great pain and possibly more damage all the way up to torturing Shay in the bathtub and threatening to kill her and make it look like a suicide, you know, and that's a pretty dark place that she goes to. And she might've started out just like, you know, pushing on an eye socket, but you know, she ends up, you know, I don't know if she was actually going to kill Shay or if she was just trying to make Shay think so, but either way, some things there it's hard to come back from. There's no going back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the episode especially where I was just kind of like, I I don't know how I feel about Delphine anymore. Like it just it, it made me so queasy that she went that mm-hmm. far. Again, I understand why she did it, but it's just kind of like, was that really the path to take? I don't know. Well, and for me, the whole incident with Rachel, yes, it was disturbing, but at the same time, there was animosity there between the two of them. I could understand that Delphine had a lot of anger toward Rachel. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not saying her actions were appropriate, but there was at least a grudge there, if you get what I'm saying. When it came to Shay, and I mean, I get it. She thought she was potentially somebody who could put Cosima in in harm's way, but she hadn't done anything. Really. Right. There wasn't you know, enough like, <laughs> evidence to justify mm-hmm. or, you know, for me anyway, not enough to justify that course of action. Whereas, yeah, with Rachel, it's one of those things, given how season two ended in that conversation and what what was the conversation they have in the elevator? Like, if you don't let me be there for... I'll never forgive you or something like that. Yeah. Is something. Yeah. If she dies without me, I'll never forgive you or something like that. It may be harsher what she says, but it's something to that effect. Basically, my my point being that they've hinted at something like that coming. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
Well, and speaking of Rachel, so you remember the scene where Delphine breaks up with Cosima and when she's sort of trying to explain, well, she's not even actually trying to explain what she's got planned other than, no. other than saying, you know, to keep all of you and your sister safe, you know, I can't do this too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that maybe the audience gets a sense of what she was talking about, but Kasima either doesn't get it or doesn't buy it or is too hurt to think it through what Delphine was saying, which is really like, she doesn't want Kasima to be able to use, be used as leverage over her and her feelings for her. And, um, you know, and she says something pretty telling, like, you know, I am going to be Rachel now. Like, do you understand? And right. I think that kind of begins her, descent into using really ruthless Rachel like tactics and you know maybe in order to force herself to do all of that stuff she couldn't also allow herself to be in this loving relationship with this moral person who holds her to a really high moral standard it was difficult for me throughout the season because Delphine did that thing where she broke up with poor Cosima kind of out of nowhere. Again, I feel like she had good intentions, but came out of nowhere. She didn't really give Kasima a good reason why. And then we see her being kind of jealous and manipulative when it came to Kasima's relationship with Shay. And right. that was also difficult to see. Like, I get it. Delphine is human. It's hard for her to see someone she loves being with someone else. But it's like, Delphine, you broke up with her. You don't get to do this. Yeah, that's sort of my feeling on it, too, because I, I just that's what I get really frustrated with Delphine, because this is a path you started down, Delphine. You know, pick a lane. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> either tell Cosima what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it, and preferably tell her that before. <laughs> when you break up with right. her or yeah you know, like commit or don't you know what i mean or rather commit to one mm-hmm. side or the other is what i'm trying to say you know what i mean yeah but i wonder if kind of sharing with kasima what the ultimate plan was if that would have taken some of the teeth out of it and some of her ability to descend a little bit morally like i i don't know that Cassina would have accepted their breakup if she had heard about this whole plan. She probably just would have been insane with worry about the danger Delphine was putting her in. Well, I don't know that she necessarily needed to tell Cassima, oh, here's my entire plan, because I don't know that we even saw what her plan was. But if she was a bit more forthcoming as to, I'm embedded in Dyad at this level. If I stay with you, I'm worried they're going to use you as leveraged against me. If they, if she made it a little more clear as to her reasoning for the breakup, not necessarily that here's my plan that I'm going to execute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, when you even take a step back from that, what does it matter if she's broken up with Kasima or not? Exactly. They still know that she has an attachment to that clone, right? Well, yeah, I just... Uh, you would think so. I don't know. I think it's pretty certain that we can say that, you know, she was motivated by keeping Kasima safe. But, you know, maybe it was essential that Kasima kind of not have much of an idea for it to work. Maybe then, you know, the magic potion wouldn't work. You have to really believe in it. You know what I mean? Am I forgetting a magic potion? There's so many things that happen on this show. <laughs> or was that a metaphor? No, no, <laughs> that was a, a metaphor. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) 
the the magic potion to confound Dyad as to her plans. Ah, and okay. maybe to make okay. you know whatever spies are watching her believe that she really doesn't care anymore about Kasiva. Although anybody with a casual eye even could tell, you know, that she was motivated by jealousy. So she was smooching her in her office, like she was not exactly keeping it on the DL. Like <laughs> <laughs> they're familiar with this thing called human emotions, they probably picked up on it. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just. I think my brain wants to find a reason that you know makes a lot of sense i do think it was delphine's storyline was interesting and i don't want us to just dump on delphine because i like delphine a lot as a character oh, me too and i and i do i did like seeing a different side of her but i personally from a writing perspective i don't like i've said at the beginning of the season i don't know that the foundation for her storyline was as firmly laid as i would have liked it to have been in order to really get on board with her storyline fully. I mean, I, I guess part of it, I'm I'm okay with it because in my mind, this is part of the characterization of Delphine. Delphine is somebody who is decisive and just like, mm-hmm. she decided she's going to do this. And, you know, to some extent, consequences be damned, mm. I guess. But then, you know, again, being human can't help the whole smooching in the office thing later apparently (laughs) it was just so difficult to see her be so you know lovesick and sad at the end of season two and just so cold suddenly at the beginning of season three when apparently very little time had passed it was really difficult for me to get on board that huge switch in her personality right well there was I guess part of the reason I'm more okay with it too is just because there was actually an interview, I think it was with Evelyn Brochu, where she was talking about the hair change that was, of course, causing a, a bit of a stir. I don't know right. if you noticed. <laughs> yeah. But she was talking about how sometimes people will, will do that. Right. Create a, a physical outside change to sort of prompt an inside change that they don't necessarily feel. Oh, yeah. Like, fake it till you make it. Yes. Right. So it's like, okay, I kind of get that. Well, there was a lot at stake, and it wasn't just her relationship with Kasima. It was literally, like, the lives of everybody that Kasima, you know, instructed her that if you're going to love me, you have to love all of us. So Mm -hmm. there were just no great options to kind of come out of it. And that's fair, too. I mean, things were tricky. And I can kind of understand at the beginning of the season, I think we're supposed to assume that Delphine, well, definitely by the time she would talk to Rachel, Delphine had a sense that the, this cleaner was coming and was planning to eradicate all the all the clones in Clone Club. And so I get it, like, dangerous situation needs to be dealt with. And so, you know, maybe Delphine needs to turn on a switch and be mean Delphine for a little bit. Uh, but I, I kind of got confused as to what her ultimate plan was being positioned where she was in dyad i don't know does that make sense yeah yes i think so i mean i get what you're saying though that <laughs> like you know because it was the emergency situation it was like stuff had to be she had to be decisive about it and do this crazy right. thing so like i mm-hmm. i get it which is maybe also why i'm more upset with her for stuff that happens later in the season yeah, because I, I kind of just I don't really understand what ultimately her motivation was later on in the season. Unless we go I, back to the I, decisiveness I want, thing, because some people are like that, where they yeah. say, OK, this is what I'm going to do. And then they do it hell or high water. So, 
I don't know. But what was she doing, Chris? What was she doing? I think she thought she was just doing what she could to to keep everybody safe. I mean, I don't know beyond that. Okay. Well, how do you resign from Dyad or how do you retire from Dyad? The way Leaky did, probably. <laughs> right. <laughs> I still wish that we had gotten more of a sense of what Marion Bowles had told her. Ah, uh, yes. In that- in between seasons two and three, like what went down between her and Marion Bowles? Marion Bowles, who we saw once and not again. Yeah, we saw her a few times in season two, but we didn't see her at all in season three. Huh. Anything else about Delphine? She's great hair, curly. She's got great, great hair. Anyway, love Delphine. Yeah. She's a really interesting character. Actually, since you're here, Sally, I'm. I, I want to pose this question because. Sally is um you're you're a little bit older than I am so you've seen as it unfolded sort of more female female couples on television and sort of the history of that I I know more of some of it from like you know reading about it after the fact whereas you experienced it more readily This is maybe not a great show to sort of ask this question about because like you said it's hard to trust anybody on this show but it does turning Delphine's character in this way does it concern you at all that they might be playing into certain stereotypes about lesbian characters that have been prevalent in the past? Well, Stephanie, that's quite a question. <laughs> Thank you for acknowledging my vast experience with all of television. I'm now picturing you in a rocking chair with a cigarette. <laughs> I'm just glad that I could hang on long enough to make this venture in Sierra and Black. Um, no, that's a it's a that's a really good question because it is kind of you know Delphine her character didn't indicate any previous attraction to women and from what she's told Casima in season one until she met Casima like she had, I guess, identified as straight. And then, you know, like she kind of went undercover to become her monitor, become romantically involved with her. And then seemed like she was just kind of surprised that she ended up falling in love with her and being attracted to her. And I wouldn't say that it concerns me, actually. I think it's kind of refreshing. I think the stereotype you're referring to is that people can kind of choose their sexual orientation or turn it on or turn it off. And for a long time in the GLBT rights movement, um, a big talking point was like people are born this way. You know, it's something genetic or innate, you know, since a very young age. And I think that there was a thought at the time that that kind of helped the uh, civil rights argument. But I don't know if that's true for all people. I don't think it is. And I think it's kind of, I think Delphine's journey is kind of a sign of the times that we're living in where, you know, people don't have to feel confined to their previous feelings. Like I think there's more acceptance of the idea that sexuality is a spectrum and that uh, life is a rich tapestry and, you know, that stuff's okay and we don't need to get hung up on labels and we can all surprise ourselves. I was also referring to kind of her evil arc and playing into the notion generally of like the, the, the evil slash dead lesbian trope or what about like the duplicitous bisexual yeah that too but again i feel like 
this is maybe a bad show to ask that question about because, you know, we're talking about Delphine and Paul in this episode. What have we seen Paul done do? You know, he has that horrible confrontation scene with Felix in season two. Like we've seen him do terrible things. And yet he still, I think, has a heroic death. And ultimately, I think we see him as more or less a good guy. Hmm. I hadn't even really thought about the evil, dead, lesbian, duplicitous, bisexual stereotype. I feel like maybe we're living in a post-evil, lesbian, duplicitous, bisexual stereotype <laughs> world. Well, and I think, it, you know, it is always difficult because you you don't want to play into tropes. But at the same time, if you can't represent queer characters in a full, complex way where they can be all things – I think that becomes limiting. And I do think it helps that there are more than the one character. Right. One More than one LGBT character. So, you know. It's just, it's funny. I mean, like, I've been so wrapped up in the story of this show and the characters that I don't think that I personally have um, been on edge about any tropes or stereotypes. You know, it's just a really good story. And these are just people who seem really real and they're struggling with moral ambiguity and, you know, like being pulled in differing directions by different priorities. And, you know, everybody's got a lot of different motivations. Some are noble and some are not like, they're just, um, everybody, nobody's like all good or all bad. Mm -hmm. And, and thank you, Chris, for bringing up the duplicitous bisexual label. I was saying evil lesbian. I don't want to erase Delphine bisexuality and evil lesbians kind of like the name of the trope. Just right. Right. Yeah, bisexuals can be evil, too. <laughs> I know, but usually it's just so reductive, you know? If a woman shows an attraction to another woman, oh, she's a lesbian. Like, no, it's more complicated than that, guys. You're forgetting the duplicitous Stupid bisexuals, too. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. I am not into duplicitous bisexual erasure. <laughs> Well, thank you for entertaining me. Well, entertain the, both ways. <laughs> yeah, both ways. <laughs> what just happened? What's going on? I was I was meaning to say thank you for entertaining yeah, my did. my question, but I all she also made me laugh, so she entertained me as oh. well. And I brought merriment to me. Anyway, let's move on to Paul. <laughs> because as you mentioned, you know, I, I guess part of what is keeping us from thinking about these tropes necessarily with Delphine is the fact that a lot of the same stuff happens with Paul. So as we've mentioned, Paul is, he's sort of like a mid-level or maybe upper middle level guy at the, the project caster rendition camp. Nice use of the word rendition. That's what they call it. He's a major. Yep. Yeah. He got promoted to a major. I we're not, we don't. I don't think we know what rank he had previously. Right at the end of season two, they they said he got promoted to major. So, but still, at the camp, what we see is that he is, I think, in charge of maybe most, if not all, of the military guys. But it's pretty clear that Doctor Cody has seniority over him. Yeah, yeah. I feel like when we see him interacting with military personnel, most of them are of lower mm-hmm. rank than he is. I can't think of anybody who was higher than him. So I think you're correct in that. But still, I thought it was kind of interesting that he is apparently that high up, that important, 
which I think is maybe more fascinating given that, you know, come to find out he didn't actually know what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems to me what we get from Paul's storyline in season three, at least to me, it insinuated that he was put into Dyad as a mole for Castor, perhaps to gather intel that could be useful to Project Castor and maybe solving the illness situation going on with the Castor right. clones. I think they did either they either said that or strongly hinted at it. That mm-hmm. that was his purpose, yeah. Because I think they said, too, that, you know, Sammy was doing the same thing. Sammy being Tony's right. monitor. Right. I'm still curious about Sammy, by the way. Me too. I feel like there's more story there. Anyway, that's a that's a side note. <laughs> and so Paul went into Dyad thinking that he was looking, looking out for things that could help his guys, you know, help make the Castor clones better health-wise. So it was interesting to me that as a mole within Dyad, he seemed pretty willing to go pretty far <laughs> in order to protect his mission, what he was doing. Like the, the acts that we see him, him take in episode 106, you know, those were pretty extreme. And yet he was just a mole within Dyad rather than working for Dyad itself. Yeah, I mean, throughout his storyline, we've seen him do some pretty extreme or pretty shady things. And so, yeah, it is one of those things you you kind of wonder how much he knew he'd have to do some of that stuff. At least I wonder about it, but maybe I'm thinking about it too much. Yeah, you know, one thing I haven't done is gone back to watch season one after having watched seasons two and three to sort of piece back like, what we know about the characters now and how that informs what they're, what they were doing then. So I'm sitting here trying to remember all this as you guys are talking about it. Well, when he has that realization that Sarah isn't Beth and then she runs away from him, you know, that's when we see him click into what I like to call Terminator Paul mode, where he seems ready to kill her, right? He poisons the alcohol. He even is about to hand it to her before she says, oh, it's clones. And that's when he decides not to. So it's interesting to me that he was willing to take it that far, even though I feel like in that particular instance, Sarah would have been more of a threat to maybe Dyad than to his actual organization that he was working for, Project Mm -hmm. Caster. But maybe I'm just being (laughs) short-sighted. I don't I don't exactly know why Paul was so determined to potentially kill her because of realizing she wasn't yeah. actually Beth. Things are confusing about that. That whole era, really. <laughs> Just because it is because yeah. he is a spy within the spy group. So it's it's a whole thing mm-hmm. like who is he trying to convince and what is he trying to convince them of? And yeah, I don't know. Was he killing potentially killing Sarah out of allegiance, pretend allegiance to Dyad? Was he doing it because she thought he was a, she was a threat to Castor? Yeah, what exactly was his motivation? And how there? does he keep it all straight? He's like one of those Russian <laughs> nesting dolls. Plans within plans within plans. Perhaps so. I don't know. I mean, as Dawson mentioned when he was on a few episodes ago, he was talking about how Paul's storyline, to to him at least, makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. It's very confusing if you think about it as a whole. Well, because again, it's like we don't 
quite know what his exact mission was, what his directives were. So maybe it was, mm-hmm. you know, make Dyad, convince Dyad that you're working for them. And maybe that's what he was trying to do. I mean, I don't really know. There are ways to make it make sense, <laughs> mostly, I think. But mm-hmm. anyway. But it's difficult given the explicit information that yeah. we're given. Yeah, there are parameters, and but there's kind of not enough to give us definitive answers on some of that, at least. They need to go back and do, like, whenever the whole series is over, and do, like, pop-up video on all the (laughs) DVDs, you know, in the scenes, like, explaining, you know, this is why Paul frowned right here. He's thinking about back when uh, Rudy was 19. And And then Dylan Bruce pops in and is like, no, dude, I was just hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Dylan Dylan Bruce sounds nothing like that. Don't. <laughs> I made him sound like a stoner. That he's he doesn't sound like a stoner. <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> you can delete all of that, Chris. I'm sorry. Why? Dude, it's funny. Where's my tank? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <sighs> but yeah, maybe that's a future comic issue or something. The history mm-hmm. of Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The history of Paul, and now his history is over. Oh, that that was that was harsh. There, I know, Sally. but like, I'm sad. You know, I was just getting to like the guy, and eh. of course, that means he yeah. has to die. Like by TV it- rules, that's true. <laughs> like, if if you're ever watching a TV show, I don't know if you guys do this, but I do this all the time. If I'm watching a TV show and they have an episode that suddenly focuses on a secondary character i get so nervous for that character i know i know it's like oh what is going to happen to you poor baby's gonna die by the end of the episode i'm gonna end up in the wood chipper also if if people get really happy that's another big warning sign like what is about to happen terrible things that's kind of like in life though isn't it i mean you know people there's even a phrase like waiting for the other shoe to drop Greek mythology. My life is generally pretty good. <laughs> but, you know, like, don't fly too close to the sun. Not if you're wearing wax wings. Come on. Yeah, well, as I often am. <laughs> I don't know. My life's pretty good. I think, I guess, all of my shoes are on the ground. I'm good. Yeah, dun, that's, dun, dun. Don't lift up one of the shoes, right? <laughs> yeah. Knock on wood, too, <laughs> Stephanie. <laughs> Glue all of your shoes to the ground and you'll be good. <laughs> don't let any of them drop. <laughs> Just a little life advice. But back to Paul. <laughs> Paul, he's got some boots for shoes. If we want to talk about. Right off the rails this episode. Yeah, yeah. And Paul, yeah. So he, we finally got some definitive answers about him. He says that he loves... He loves Sarah. He's ultimately willing to sacrifice himself for what he thinks is the greater good. He gets a heroic death and emerges, like I said, more or less a pretty good guy, I think. Yep. That was a terrible, terrible death, though. Poor Paul. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I still don't understand how Rudy and Dr. Cody survived. It was very uh, a prayer for Owen Meany, actually, his death, don't you think? I have not read that book. Oh, well, spoiler alert. <laughs> I have read many a John Irving novel, but That's I have like not read that one. That's like his best novel. I like Garp a lot, too, but A Prayer for Owen Meany is awesome. Okay. 
I'll go All check right. it out. Book recommendations from Sally. Yeah. We also got some feedback from Edith. She says, I'm just sad they're gone. They were willing to sacrifice everything to help the sisters, especially the ones they loved. Also, I have a feeling Delphine and Paul knew each other, so I would have loved at least one scene with them. Rest in peace, Paul and Delphine. And then three question marks. All I know is that Orphan Black will not be the same to me without Delphine and Paul. Why do the sexy monitors have to die? Hey, we still got Donnie. Yeah, that's true. I find Donnie sexy, but anyway. Delphine and Paul can't dance like Donnie. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. It's true. Or if they can, we didn't see it, so. <laughs> so Paul is D-E-D dead, like dead dead. Delphine, however, I don't think we should write her off as and as requiring an RIP at this point in time, though. Right. Hence the three question marks that, that Edith included on that comment. And yeah, I mean, again, going back to TV tropes and stuff, if we don't see definitive proof that Delphine died, I'm going to assume she didn't. I almost think that given, you know, the nature of the cliffhanger and she's been such a fan favorite that it would seem wrong if you were actually dead. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I- I've mentioned this before, I think, but given the way this show has gone in that more characters, I think, have been mysteriously not dead, <laughs> like they-, they were thought right. dead and turns out they're not. I think that's happened more times than actual character deaths, right? Or at least as many times. I'm not willing to say okay, that, okay. but it-, it-, it it is frequent. It is frequent that we think, oh, Thought that character was dead. They told us she was dead. And there she is. I guess if we count the clones that were killed at the beginning, then yeah, that's not true. But like recurring characters, let's say. Yeah. We've gotten Mm -hmm. more because both of the Duncans turns out not dead. I'm just saying. It's entirely possible they'll do it again. And we've we've gone through the various possibilities of who might have shot Delphine. I don't think I've come up with anybody new have you chris no no have you guys heard the theory that somebody has posed that maybe delphine arranged to have herself shot well that's kind of i think implicit in some of the some of the options that we mentioned i have no idea but that and i think that is potentially i thought we did mention that actually when we first talked about it we might have yeah but so i i would totally buy that that Delphine had arranged it since they made that threat about you'll be dead in 24 hours, blah, 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 that she felt like in order to keep helping Kasima, she needed to fake her own death and go someplace where she could, you know, hatch quiet machinations for a while. Yeah. I mean, the the only thing that I have against that theory is the conversation, not, not really conversation, but she, she talks to the person who shoots her, which doesn't quite sound like something that was, she would have said to somebody who she arranged this with, you know what I mean? Yeah, but at the same time, she does like put her, she seems to be expecting it though, but it could just be the whole thread of you'll be dead within 24 right. hours. I don't know why I did that <laughs> accent, sorry. but you know, like, <laughs> So it could be because right. of I that. Mean, every action that she takes between hearing that and that happening are sort of getting things in order. So it could be that she expects it to happen because this is the way they do things, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm just throwing out the possibilities because I don't know. I'm I'm curious which direction they're going to go. 
Well, here's another possibility. Maybe she was shot by J.R. Ewing. Now, for those of you who were born after 1990, that was a television show called Dallas, and it was a major season-ending cliffhanger. Who shot JR? So you're saying, spoiler alert, that Delphine is just dreaming? (laughs) No, I was just making a stupid joke. (laughs) Yeah, I was too. (laughs) Though the season did begin with a dream sequence, maybe we got another oh. one at the end and we didn't even know. If Bob Newhart shows up, you guys, then I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> you are just killing it with the references the millennials will not understand. <laughs> but if you want to hear us talk about some potential suspects in regards to who shot Delphine, go back and listen to our conversation about history yet to be written is episode 82. You can find that at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 82. Well, thank you once again, Sally, for, for joining us. Well, thank you very much. I had a blast. Is there anything you'd like to mention, Sally? Nope. Just looking forward to season four. Oh, we should mention okay. season four finally has a premiere date. It is April 14th. They have mm. switched the night to Thursday. It's on at Thursday at, I believe... Is it 10-9 Central? I think it's 10-9 Central. Which does make it our recording schedule a little bit different and difficult. So we're, we're figuring out what our season four episodes are going to look like. We're still doing it. Nothing like that. But we will have to figure out when we'll record them and what all we will do for season four, just as a heads up. It's looking pretty likely that we'll not be doing first impressions episodes and we'll just be doing the longer episodes that will come out a little bit later. Right. Well, I'll be waiting to hear them in whatever format they appear in. Thanks, Sally. We'd love to hear your thoughts about Delphine. Delphine! I didn't do it. And Paul, you can go. (laughs) Thank you. You can go leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 96. Tell us what you think about them over there. You can also send us an email, feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. You can also find us over on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we are also on Facebook. Tatiana's Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. Find our other podcasts about Lost Girl and Killjoys and other things over at AskGenreTV.com. And in this episode, classic television and classic television tropes were played by Tatiana Masani. Thanks for listening.